0: Um, the, su- the year my second son was born, Harold, he was he was expected. We were expecting him in February, and so for Christmas that year, I went out. Uh, this was in the sec- the last part of the last century. Uh, I went out and bought these things called VHS tapes, or very wide, large things that you kept next to your television if you wanted to watch a show. And um, so there was this show on BBC called Pride and Prejudice. It was very popular. Uh, it was so popular they ended up writing a book about it. And they, um, and it was about this very prideful, uh, man, a very prideful woman who, uh, pretty much despised each other. They pretty much despised each other. And then, uh, they got separated and he kind of wrote a few letters to explain a few things and she saw how rich he was. Uh, That supposedly didn't change her heart, but it clearly did. And, um... He proposes to her again. He asks her, her father, uh, for her hand, and she says this. She says, uh, he says to her, Lizzie, I know you to be a prideful person. I know you could never be happy with someone that you don't respect. I know that you could never be happy with someone that you did not uh, admire. And so I don't want you, please, daughter. Don't. Be, ruin my life. Don't don't break my heart by, by accepting a, a marriage that you don't want. And she said to him, but dad, I do like him. I love him. Indeed, he has no improper pride. He is perfectly amiable. You do not know what he really is. And do not pain me by speaking of him in such terms. Seeing him, hearing about him from the from the opinions of his servants and from his friends, seeing what he had done for his his family and for her own family that, that she didn't even know, that her father didn't even know, seeing those things done had changed her completely. He was the same person. Mr. Darcy was the exact same person, but her view of him had completely changed from someone that she despised to someone that she loved and wanted to be with forever. We're we're studying the book of Acts, and Acts really is this turning point in in the history of the world where God, the, the same God, the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, who's never changed at all, all of a sudden, his people, their opinions of him change completely. Stephen, in the text we're going to read today, uh, Stephen, one who's considered to be the first martyr, he's stoned uh, in this text, he, he recites the history of Israel, and he says, this is your history, people. Y'all don't want anything to do with God. You never have. And now, all of a sudden, people are flocking to him. They are... Uh, they're, they're giving their life for him. They're rejoicing that they're counted worthy to suffer for him. They are dying for him. They can't stay away from him. And, and what we're see, what I want you to see is, since Christ died, since Jesus was raised from the dead, since Jesus has ascended and sits on the throne of God at his right hand, since Jesus Christ has sent the Holy Spirit. Since the Holy Spirit has come to indwell believers and, and renovate us and give us life from within, since all of those things have happened, everything has changed. Everything has changed. Have you? Everything has changed. Have you? Please stand as we read from Acts chapter 7, it's a long chapter, um, and I'm not, not going to read the whole thing for you, uh, but I'll summarize it here in a second, but Stephen tells the, the, the council, the, the people in the temple, the history of Israel, he recounts it to them, and he, uh, he summarizes it like this, this is probably not the best way to get yourself, you know, to make people less angry at you, but this is how he summarizes it. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. So do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you now have betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels but did not keep it. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. And they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against him them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. This is the reading of God's word. All men are like grass, and all of our glory is like the flowers of the field. And the grass withers and the flowers fall, but not God's word. God's word stands forever. You may be seated. Since Jesus was crucified, since since He was raised from the dead, since He ascended into heaven and and from heaven, since He sent the Holy Spirit to uh, to to reside within us, to be in us, since since all those things, that those that 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 two month period is the changing point of of history. Everything is different. Everything's different, and it forces us to ask ourselves the question: Are we different? Everything has changed, have we? Have we? The first thing I want you to see, I want to take you kind of through this, is, is Stephen tells them the story. He reminds them the story. This is the story of history. We humans are born with opposition, defiance, disorder. We are born with this disorder that says, I don't know what the rule is, but I don't like it. Um. Stephen takes them through history and he says, you know how it is, from the very beginning, there's been nothing but opposition to God. And it's important for us to remember this. We tend to have this idea. I think when we read the Bible, there's a couple of things we, we get kind of askew. One of them is we tend to think of the Old Testament people as heroes, and they are clearly not. They were loved sinners. And sometimes we overstress Um, how similar they are to us. But they're not, they don't have the Holy Spirit either. They really are different. And it's important, I think, at times for us to acknowledge the differences. So God comes to Abraham and announces that he's going to to bless the entire world through him. And his own wife wasn't coming along. She's like, no, I'm not having a baby. I'm too old. (laughs) Can we do this through the servant? Opposition from the beginning. God raises up the patriarchs. Uh, Jacob, Israel, has his 12 children and and picks one, Joseph, through whom they're all going to be blessed and saved. And so the 11 immediately reject him. Immediately sell him into slavery. Want nothing to do with him. They oppose God's work. The, the Israelites you know, Two generations, three generations later go into Egypt and they are enslaved and God raises up one to save them, Moses. And Moses comes to the people and tries to begin to, to rescue them from the opposition, from the oppression of the Egyptians and immediately they reject him. Who made you to be a ruler over us? And he, and he runs and he has to go out into the wilderness to live. And 40 years later, he comes back and he delivers them from Israel and does miracles and feeds them and gives them water. And immediately they stand opposed to him. Why you? Why do you get to be the one who talks to Yahweh and not us? Who made you to be a ruler over us? Opposition, opposition, opposition. They want a king. They finally get a king. They reject Samuel. They reject the prophets. They want a king. David finally uh, defeats the, the, the Philistines and he brings peace. And prophets have to go to the Israelites and say, why are you not rallying around King David? Why won't you, He's your king. He's the king God gave you. Why won't you rally around him? They finally do for about, oh, I don't know, 10, 15 good years. Then his son leads a rebellion. They drive David out. He has to win another war, comes back in. People finally come to him again. King, he they thrones his son, his son builds the temple and, and the moment his son dies, it's not a year later that the entire nation rejects the temple, rejects Solomon. We're not going to worship here. 11, Ten of the twelve nations um, decide they're going to worship somewhere else besides the temple. Rejection, rejection, opposition. It's in our heart. God, give me a rule so I can deny it. The, uh, the Apostle Paul says it like this He said, I didn't even know I was a sinner until somebody read me the law. (laughs) And when I read the law, sin came alive and I died. I didn't even want to do that until you told me I couldn't. I had that happen to me uh, in seminary, of all places. I was so excited about going to seminary for a lot of reasons, and and not the least of which was chapel. I loved chapel. I I wanted to to hear these, these men who had been Spent so much time with the Lord. The reason I chose, uh, well, the non-financial reason that I chose the seminary I went, chose was because when I went to visit, the chapel service was so great. Ian Wright preached on persistent and persevering prayer. I remember that sermon from 1992. How many sermons do you remember from 1992? It was good. It made a deep impression on me, and I thought, man, I want to go here. I want to be in these kind of chapel services. I want these people to teach me how to pray and how to worship. And everything was great. And I got to seminary. And I went to chapel for three or four weeks in a row there. And then all of a sudden I was in, uh, I was in the library one day. And I, have, I was trying to get my Greek homework done. And I started turning off the lights. And I said, why don't you turn off the lights? I'm trying to do my Greek homework. And they said, we've got to go to chapel. It's the rule. Everybody has to go to chapel. I said, I have to go to chapel? You have to go to chapel. It's the rule. If you're on campus, you have to go to chapel. So I went and jumped in the car, went to the donut shop, didn't go to chapel again for months because I had to. Isn't that the dumbest thing? I I made a life-changing decision to move to Mississippi because I wanted to go to chapel, and the second I found out that I had to go, I was like, nah, huh? that's not how this works. Opposition, defiance. We don't like it just because someone's making us do it. It's deep within us. And it was deep within Israel. And, and, and it didn't end. It comes all the way up until the time that Jesus himself comes to the earth and, and that Israel rejects him. And not only rejects him, but turns him over to the Romans to be crucified. Complete and utter Rejection. That's the old world. That's the old story. That's the old us. That is what we are like. We don't like the idea of God even existing. The apostle, I mean, uh, St. Augustine says his first experience with sin that he remembers was stealing pears. And uh, he said, I had my own pear trees. But stolen pears tasted better. The uh, the adulterous woman in Proverbs says, "Stolen waters taste sweet." There's something about opposition. That's the old story. But the good news is that the new world has changed. What Christ has changed us. The entire universe, the entire cosmology, has been changed. When when Christ comes, He is turned over into unlawful hands. And he is crucified, and in that crucifixion our something happens to us we don't see it it's not clear it, it, but but something breaks he breaks something in us he breaks the power of sin in us it's still there the sin itself is still there but it doesn't have the same power it's like when you are sick and you're just a slave to it you know you're just you're, you're you can't get out of bed you're feverish Every, your food doesn't taste good you can't sleep you can't be awake everything is just altered by this sickness and you finally get the antibiotic or whatever it is you need and and it and it breaks the fever breaks and you know it the second it happens because you sweat <laughs> and you feel a little bit better and food tastes a little bit better and you still have it in you right but it's It's not enslaving you anymore. When Jesus withstands temptation after temptation and he obeys God to go to the cross just because God asked him to. He obeys God and goes to a cross. There was nothing in him that deserved that death. There was nothing in him that deserved death at all. But when he laid down his life for us, paying the price for our sin, he broke the power of sin. He broke it. We still have it in us, but it doesn't enslave us. We don't have to be in opposition to God anymore. He changed that about the world. We're not slaves to the prince of the power of the air anymore. And when he goes into the grave, he breaks a hole in the back of the tomb. He goes through death so that we're not under the power of death anymore. We don't live at our life with that, that selfish, bitter cynicism anymore. Because death doesn't have the final word. Because, because death has been defeated. And that, that changes the way we live. We see that in this story. It's important to understand what, what happens to Stephen. They pick up stones to kill him. And if you want just a sense of how different like, the world is, okay, basically they, they killed Stephen for giving a really bad sermon. I, mean, I, don't, think y'all are, I don't think that's going to happen today. I've preached some pretty bad sermons up here, but just the, and it's weird because we don't use phrases like stoned, and when we do say someone got stoned, we don't mean this at all, right? Um, it was a brutal, grisly, you wouldn't be able to watch it, like watching someone get Hit with rocks until they died until they were covered they're crying out there's blood there's tears there's 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 I, I can't even unimaginable screams and groans you wouldn't watch that kind of inhumanity and in in the midst of that he looks up and he sees Jesus And and it's important to understand that he doesn't see, he doesn't see like Jesus' face in the clouds, okay? He doesn't, he doesn't get a vision of Jesus, right? Like I've had visions of Jesus, some of y'all have had visions of Jesus. And basically what we mean is, we had a really well-timed daydream that God blessed, right? Like we, we saw him, whatever, we saw something, but you couldn't tell, like he wasn't there. You understand what I'm saying? Like, that was a vision. That was a daydream. That was a, a, well, I've said it five times, a daydream. Stephen didn't see that. God opened the window to heaven. And there was the body of Jesus, Jesus himself, resurrected from the dead, in heaven, at the throne of God, the one that was just walking around here 40, 45 days ago. That guy. he was there he was. And that gave Stephen this this concrete oh, oh, the resurrection's real. It's real. that's that's where I'm heading. that's this is the path I have to walk to get to there. This is not some kind of end. It's a beginning. And it changes his, Heart, it changes his mind about what's about to happen. He sees Jesus there going, Hey, Stephen, I'm right here. This is okay. You're just going to come from here to there. It's okay. You can do this. And, And we're told that Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit. He was filled with the Spirit. That changes you the The Holy Spirit. Why? Why did the Old Testament believers? Why did they uh, resist God and resist God and resist God? They didn't have God's Spirit. He didn't come inside of them and change them. They were uncircumcised of heart. He. They didn't. They hadn't seen Mister Darcy's castle yet they hadn't seen uh, hadn't they didn't know what he was like they didn't know how good god was they just hadn't had the change of spirit that comes when the holy spirit comes within you but Jesus, but stephen was full of the spirit and so he was able to to suffer he was able to love the people who were killing him that's a that's a fascinating thing and this this is where this is both the greatest comfort and the greatest frustration for pastors, really. Because on one hand, it's like, I can't make you be born again. Like, I can't. And so it's good to know that, because like, no matter how bad the sermon is, I'm going to go home and go, it wasn't my fault. Right? I mean, you to get it or you don't. On the other hand, I can't make you be born again. And it's frustrating, because I just really want you to be. I was with uh, a couple yesterday for lunch. They were in town for a wedding. And they were in my very first RUF group uh, from 1995. Yeah, 1995. And so it was great. We met down at Brookside, and we were eating lunch. And uh, Carla from Indianola, Mississippi, was sitting there saying, You know, I can't make my kids be born again. She said, I was 38 years old. I'd never missed church a week, but I didn't know that I needed him. You just can't tell somebody that they need you need them, that God's got to do that, and that's, that's exactly right. You see, until, until the Holy Spirit comes in you, everything is everybody else's fault. You, you get that, right? Everything is everybody else's fault. You don't need God. Everybody else does. You don't need anything. Really, everybody else does. They they need wisdom. They need um, need to get their lives straightened out. They need to understand you better. If they just understood you better, then then they would understand why you've made the decisions you've made, and they would understand that you have actually been right all along. And then... When the Holy Spirit comes, you realize you're the one who needs Jesus. And it begins to make you compassionate for everybody else. I mean, if anybody had the right to go, hey, I'm right here and you're all wrong, it would have been Stephen, right? But instead he has compassion on them. They're stiff-necked. You don't get it. You're not born again. And there, and there's nothing that anybody else can do for you. That is between you and the Lord. I was it's interesting. We had this conversation, Carl and I, and we were sitting uh, we were sitting at one of the, the restaurants down in Brookside with a big outdoor fireplace. And I pointed to the fireplace and I said, "You know, all we as parents can do, all we as pastors can do, is is put wood in the fireplace. It's up to the Lord to start the fire. And and that's true. That's that's all we can do. And until you're willing. To swallow that pill saying maybe I'm the problem then then the transition the change doesn't take place it, it, the Holy Spirit when he comes in you that's the first thing he does he he, he transitions you that he changes you from, from seeing that you are the one who needs the change you are the one who needs help you are the one who needs the blessing and and he convinces that you that you. convinces you that you have it, that you have it, that you've got everything you need, and you live the rest of your life not as one trying to earn God's approval, but you live the rest of your life as beloved. You live your life as beloved. What, what does that look like? What does it look like to be the new people? what does it mean to, to 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 change it means that you have confidence that you have him and that he is yours i um it's interesting that the, these phrases always seem to come up in in terms of suffering but the way god's people get through suffering is fascinating and it's worth me- it's worth meditating on cuz life is hard and it's it's one kind of test after another. It's not bad. I, I've loved life, and I, I hope you do as well. And I hope you see God's grace and you experience God's joy in it. We experience God's joy and grace through suffering, not instead of it. And this is what the Apostle Paul talks tells Timothy. This is how he says, I, I get through suffering. He says, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. I love that, right? It's Ralph the Bad, he says, I know you're tempted to be ashamed of it. Don't be. Don't be ashamed of me, his prisoner. But share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling. Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which has now been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day that that has been entrusted to me. What does the change do? It, it, it changes our view of our life so that we're able to embrace the embarrassments, the shame, and the suffering of the gospel because we know him. It's fascinating. He doesn't say, I know my inheritance. I know this is short-lived. I know blah, blah, blah. He says, I know him. I know him. He's not going to make me do anything that he hasn't already done for me. He's not going to force me to walk anywhere, that he's not going to walk with me. I know him. And I'm persuaded that he can deliver me. And then Peter picks up on that very same phrasing, and he says, uh, and at the end of 1 Peter 5, he says, After you suffered a little while, The God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, will himself, I love that emphatic, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. God himself, he's not going to send an angel, he's not going to send a pastor. He's not going to send an apostle. God Himself will confirm you, will strengthen you, will establish you. God Himself. That just slays me. That's, that's what's, what's happening with Stephen here. He's looking up and he sees Jesus Himself, he sees the glory of God itself. I, don't ask me what that looked like. I'm forbidden to tell you under Westminster Confession Rules. Um he sees God Himself. And I want that intimacy for you. That's that's how it changes our view of the world. We're able to take the struggles, the curveballs, the the you know all of life is is, you know, you don't get into school you wanted to, you got into school you didn't want to because you and you failed out, you didn't get the girlfriend you wanted, you got the boyfriend you wanted, and he broke up with you, You, he married you and ended up being a jerk. Uh, You know, it's just like one curveball after another, it seems like. You know, you can't have kids, and then you get too many, and then it's just the whole thing, and then you get sick, and you, and you, you begin to ask yourself the question, can I receive this from the Lord who loves me? Because I know him. And then it changes not only our relationship with ourselves and with our lives, but with with others. We see others as people who need compassion. Lord, Stephen's last words, "Don't, don't hold this against them. They just don't know what they're doing. They're just sad, angry, dumb people who don't know you. They just don't know you. And sometimes I wonder how much we need to be reminded of that as we go through life angry, seeing people as as obstacles, they're in our way. Why can't they just understand what we understand? And it's important for us to remember that it's not that they don't understand what we understand, because understanding is not that great anyway, if they don't know who we know. They just don't know him. And if they knew that God was trustworthy, if they knew the depth of his love, then they'd be different. And it's our job to point to that. It's our job to love them into that. To have compassion. And That's, that's how he changes us. When Jesus came, when he died, when he was raised from the dead, when he sends his spirit, he changed everything. And our hope is that he's changing us and through us, changing our community, changing our world. Please pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we come to you asking for your spirit. Would you fill us up? Father, we, we confess, we go through life angry, frustrated, feeling like we got the short end of the stick. And all of those feelings are just reveal that we've not feasted on your goodness yet. We just act like people who don't know you. In the loving name of Jesus, we ask that you would send your spirit, that we would live like people who know you and know you're just right right there. Amen.